Thanks for joining us and welcome to I Talk Shit and Read. I'm your host, Ro, and I'm joined by my ever lovely and joyful fellow film critic, Joy Child, known on Twitter as Jump for Joy. And we're going to be talking about The Sun is Also a Star. Hi, Joy. Hi, Ro. I'm not feeling really joyful in recent time just because life is rough and work is kicking my ass, but I'm going to try my best. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, this book is not actually, uh, you know, a happy-go-lucky book from where it starts out. For a lot of people who don't know, the book is based on the book by the same title by Nicola Yoon, as I ruin her name. I apologize, ma'am. And it's about a chance meeting between a boy and a girl in New York at the time that the girl finds out she's about to be deported from America for forever. And he's reconciling the fact that he is going to be who his parents say he's going to be going to college to give the long way would you say that's kind of a fair assessment of what we're looking at here yeah i would i would agree with that there's a lot more to unpack and i'm sure we're going to definitely talk about it later but yes that is that is definitely a good round summary of everything Well, this is one of those books. It's a contemporary romance. It's written by a woman of color. So as you read, you don't naturally automatically presume everyone you're reading about is black because or white or anything because she's pretty clear to be rather eclectic in who she chooses to talk about. And this book is set between an Jamaican immigrants and South Korean immigrants the Jamaican family is here as undocumented status and the South Koreans are now U.S. citizens established and their children are born U.S. citizens. So it's kind of a timely theme. I know she wrote this book a few years ago before it got optioned. She wrote this 2016 and it was optioned for film. And it makes sense that it was optioned for film because it is like a teenage romance, but, you know, dealing with the heavier issues. Um, what did you think when you saw like the trailer or the promo for this movie? Uh, I thought it was really cheesy, but not in a bad way. Um, I think I think I've come to realize that like the young adult romance genre is not necessarily I'm a fan of um, and not on a ageist level of, oh, I'm too old for that. But just more so it's never been my cup of tea, even when I was that age. But I thought it was really cute. And I like Yara Shahidi as a human and as a, someone <laughs> on social media. Shade. So, I'm hearing a uh, bit of shade. And it's really not shady, but like I had to, you know, I had I had to come to Jesus moment during the film when I was watching it. Uh, so I was looking forward to it. And then I saw that fine man and I was like, OK, I'm going to go see this for the strength of he is fine as fuck. So he is. He's he's a pretty, pretty, pretty man. I read this book in 2016 when it came out because I'm a fan of how Nicola Yoon writes. I like how she puts words together. I like how she takes ideas and takes them somewhere that you don't ordinarily expect, even if she's doing it within what's considered to be a formula for writing. And I feel like they kind of yanked a little bit of the soul out of this book by the way they decided to present it to us. Yara's playing a girl who believes in facts and her name is Natasha Kingsley. She doesn't believe in romance. She doesn't believe in love. She believes in facts and things that can be measured. And then you have Daniel. He's a romantic, but not in the sense that he doesn't care about what's happening in the real world. It's because his life is so regimented and he comes from a cultural background where family comes before anything else. He needs somewhere to go and where he goes is, you know, into romanticism. So he definitely believes in fate and he thinks things are more than coincidence. But I feel like when they 
introduced the characters in the movie, they kind of took a little too much out for you to really feel like you had a sense of who these people are. What did you think? I would agree. I think that there is a level of emptiness in the, the screenplay. I'm going to be truthful. I think the film overall has a has a glaze of blandness to it. I don't necessarily feel emotion, the emotional weight of Natasha and her family's deportation. And we'll kind of get, I talk a little bit about in my written review on why I did feel that way. But I, I do think that considering Natasha is the center of the story in film form, I was not emotionally gravitated towards her or her story. Yeah. I can agree with that. The thing that got me about this book is the, the thing that's in the trailer right now where she's doing the whole Carl Sagan said that if you want to do this thing, kind of the over narrative, they give you to open it up. That does happen in the book. It, there is a prologue. But the bigger point of the prologue is more that if you want to do this one simple thing, you may have to create an entire world in order for that to happen. And I really feel like some of those more metaphysical elements that kind of revealed the deeper parts of her personality are missing i don't know if it's because they didn't think yara could do it or if they didn't think it was essential to the character but because they narrowed the lens and the story so much to just daniel and natasha i feel like you don't like you said there's no emotional impact the actual literal first chapter after the prologue is not natasha it's daniel and it's his local teen accepts destiny, agrees to become doctor, comma, stereotype. That's how she introduces Daniel in the book. And then she goes on to talk a little bit about his brother, Charlie. And you find out that Charlie had been, you know, the older brother who was perfect. He never had a step wrong. He got into quote unquote best school, as his mother called it. In other words, Harvard University. And then the next thing you know, Charlie's getting suspended from school for two semesters for bad grades. And then they move on to somewhere else. So I really felt like they didn't want to go too deeply into the character development. And that glossy sheen and shine they put on this movie is pretty. And it works really well with the song choices because I really like the soundtrack. But as for really feeling like you care about what happens to Daniel Bay and Natasha Kingsley, somewhere in the mix you lose it because you never really get a feeling for what's motivating them to act or behave the way they do. And it makes some of the things they do on screen insanely ridiculous, especially when your parents are not white. Yeah, I will say when she was just not answering her mother, I I definitely had a moment of like, in what world are you still alive? Thank you. When she pulled out her phone, we're not spoiling people. um, There's a point in the movie where she decides that she's not going to go home yet. And... Several hours later, she pulls out her phone and has 15 phone calls missed just from her mama. And I was like, there's no way you're this calm. Like, I'm seeing my whole life flash before my eyes. The police, if at some point GPS located my phone and rolled up on me. I don't live in a world where my mom is cool with me not coming home. Do you? No, 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 no. I, like, I... My parents wouldn't let me spend the night at other people's houses. They were not playing those games. So the whole, oh, you out and we about to get deported and you just disappear, it would never fly. Right. Especially because in the book, we meet Natasha the day they're supposed to leave. In the movie, it's the day before. And I could see cinematically speaking and timeline speaking, you would need more time for the development than what they give you in the book where he says, give me an hour and how they made it work in the movie. And I kind of thought the meet cute was interesting 
It wasn't for me. I think the meat cute in itself was super over dramatized in a way that was unnecessary. I will say what doesn't also lend this film any favors is the cinematography is not great. I struggled with this during the film. A lot, there's a bit of shaky cam for no reason. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I caught myself getting a headache from some of the, the stylistic choices of the camera. I felt like um, it blurred. It blurred entirely too exactly. much when they and wanted it, to do the close-up on their faces and yep. blur out the background. And that blurring literally gave me a migraine when I was watching it, which not the best thing to you know experience when you're trying to focus on a film right but that was exactly how i felt like especially if they're gonna do mood coloring which they kept doing i mean don't get me wrong little mr daniel look good in shades of blue oh come on look okay (laughs) you know (laughs) let's talk about it because yeah that is a a, wait before wait before we continue how old is he i'm about to say is he a legal age (laughs) let me not incriminate both of us yeah let, I'm literally looking at him right now. Like, Do it. Um, I need to know that. how old you are, sir. How old okay. are you? What is, what is, I know his last name is Melton. What is it? What is it? What is it? What, keep talking, but I'm going to find it now. I will say it out loud. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just like they kept, you know, they kept having these moments and doing this, this mood lighting. And I was like, okay, that's all really well and good, but you haven't given me a reason to care about these people. And I probably could have let them go with the meat cute. If they had tied all of the pieces together that were a part of that quote unquote coincidence by the end of the movie and they never do. And it's patently obvious. Oh, he's my age. We can make this potentially work. Okay, ah, he can. Okay, he's yes. grown. He's a big kid. I'll take yeah, it. I'm talking more about the fact the possibilities. Like, this, I mean, this we just gotta work. get y'all in a room. We just yes. gotta get you in a room. Listen, we need to have a, a flying car coming on the side of the street in Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> he can pull me back by my book bag and break my blue like, headphones. We can work this, this out. Work. How do but, we work this out? But do you not feel, based on what you know about the characters who were in that scene where they meet, which is they just short of what they show you in the trailer and then the tail end of him grabbing her at which is in the trailer if they had pulled all of the elements from that scene together and made it really purposeful for the story would that have worked better for you for at least kind of feeling like they were still playing into their themes yes and no i think i will i will acknowledge that they attempted to connect everything together with the lawyer who, who was played by was that john leguizamo by that the was way? absolutely john leguizamo oh Okay, I just really recently saw him in When They See Us, which is Ava's Netflix series. He plays the dad of one of the uh, Central Park Five, and he was actually very good. Well, that's uh, what I'm watching tonight, so that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, no, he was, he was, he was very good. Uh, he, they gave him, they gave him a bit to do, actually. I'm not gonna spoil it, but and so when I saw him, I was like, I just saw you, I just saw you last weekend, sir. Okay, I see you well, get a check. Yeah, well, John Lucas almost is a good actor. And I he think is. it's interesting when he takes more dramatic roles that make him not be able to lean on, you know, his comedy shtick, which is what most people recognize him for, at least most older people. Younger people don't necessarily know who he is. They may recognize him because he was the mechanic in John Wick, but they don't really know or have seen him in roles where there hasn't been a hint of humor. And I really thought that it worked really well to have him be in there because this movie is full of what New York looked like. I will say that when it came to them panning around the city and the areas they chose to show and the fact that they had a person of color playing the attorney who played 
plays a pivotal role. I like the fact that you weren't just seeing a bunch of white people. And that matters because that's one of the few things that they didn't strip out of her book. I will say, and this might just be me, and maybe... Maybe from my experience being a native New Yorker and not having an immigrant experience, but I also felt like some of the her love of the city was kind of touristy in a way that made me feel like, girl, what? Why? Why do you care about Grand Central? Keep walking. Like stuff like that, where yeah. I, which it could, easily could be a nostalgic piece and it could have just been how it was delivered by Yara, where I was just like, you've been here all of your life, it seems like. Um, but it doesn't feel that way. I, I don't know if that like, makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense because the thing that got me, there's this one moment in here where, like you said, she's standing in Grand Central and she turns and looks up and she kind of seems like she's mesmerized by the ceiling. If they had done a better job of rooting her family and their experience in New York in this movie, other than the few flashbacks they gave us. And they didn't really do a good job of trying to connect those flashbacks to where she was in the moment she was having. It kind of felt a little selfish every once in a while because they were really superficial. But I felt like if they had given those a little bit more gravitas, then we would have had a better connection. So I don't know if it was Yara or if they didn't give her enough to work with in the scene. I think I think it might have been a combination of the two. And I, I want to get into some of my like broader issues with the film. And I, and I think this is a perfect segue. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll start in turn. They don't spend any time on the Jamaican family, like at all, like none. It's always flashbacks and you get some dialogue from the parents, but from how the story's set up and through the narration of the trailers, as well as the narration during the film, it is coming from Natasha's perspective. But we get a lot of kind of like fleshed out backstory from Daniel's side, but we get none from Natasha's. And I found that so odd to me. The brother doesn't have any lines, like none. And I was watching it and it was just, it was so, but we get, you know, don't get me wrong. I think the people who play Daniel's uh, family, I also saw Jake Choi, shout out to Jake, uh, playing his brother. Like all of that was great, but I also was sitting there like, okay, but I want to hear, Natasha is from the audience point of view, she's dealing with the most traumatic experience of, my family's about to move to a country because they're the country that they, you know, move to is forcing them out because of the current government. That is very traumatic. Exactly. But we're getting nothing from, from that. So I think that's why I was just like not emotionally engaged. I will say, and this is going to sound really mean, when I was watching the film, I didn't realize that, can, can Yara Shahidi act? Like, I'm genuinely asking this question. I her affect was off in this movie for me it was super off like every once in a while you would expect her face to be animated for what she was doing and it wasn't and you know that she can't be i've seen her on a couple of oja blackish she can she didn't behave this way so i don't know honestly i don't know because her affect was weird yeah but that's the thing i was so i watched grownish i've watched uh, i've watched uh, like at least the half of the first season of grownish her affect is not dissimilar to that of grownish okay and i think i don't know if it's like her delivery i don't know if her range is as vast as i assumed it was that may be it honestly 
I think she relies on her face more than she should or body movement rather than putting them all together. Because every once in a while, I just felt like there was a disconnect between what she was doing and what her body was saying on screen or what she was saying and then what her face should be emoting. So like for me, she was just a little off. I don't watch enough of her to know maybe she's young, but I can second having questions about her range. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, and it might be the latter, but I think a good example of that is kind of calling back to what we were talking about earlier. When they had the meeting scene and she was just like, thank you for saving me. Nothing like behind the yeah. eye. Yeah. Nothing. It was very, it was like throwing me off. Yeah. And it if you go like, see oh. this movie, you'll realize that that was no little, oh, she was going to get bumped. If he hadn't snatched the back of her jacket and pulled her back, she's dead. Literally yeah. saved her life. So it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, that is kind of the first entrance of you having this interaction, having this meet cute, having this instant chemistry, and they 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 trump up the dramatics, the slow motion yeah. of him grabbing it, the car skidding to the side, both of them getting pulled back. Like yeah. it, it's it's trumped up for dramatics. It, I oh, felt it was too good. drawn out, too drawn out. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? And I think I wonder if one of my feelings of that has to do with, again, I, the cinematic choices on this one is just odd. They weren't, they weren't the best, but I also don't think that Yara's delivery of playing the opposite of that person did in any favors. And that's not to say that the, her and uh, Daniel didn't have chemistry because I think they did, but I think a lot of the heavy lifting of that chemistry came from Daniel. Does oh, that make Charles- sense? Charles Melton handled all of the lifting when it came to the emotional elements and keeping that flow between the two of them. And on one level, I understood why they were doing it because that's how people think pragmatic people are. They think if you're pragmatic, you're dead inside, which is not true. But speaking back to another point, I think other part of it is, is they ripped her family out of this movie. Like one yep. of the first things you find out about, there's a there's section in the page where it says Natasha and they're talking about her family and then packing. It says, Peter, my nine-year-old brother is the only one of us happy with this turn of events. Right now, he's packing his suitcase and playing No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley. Old school packing music, he calls it. Despite the fact he was born here in America, Peter says he wants to live in Jamaica. He's always been pretty shy and has has a hard time making friends. I think he imagines that Jamaica will be a paradise and that somehow things will be better for him there. None of that. You get none of that about Peter her brother. Doesn't talk, Peter doesn't talk the whole damn movie. No. He has no lines. None. Like there's a whole description of what their apartment looked like that they lived in. When we get there, it's completely bland and pretty much stripped down, which doesn't make any sense because they gave them more time before they had to leave in the movie than they did in the book. Like, and also... In the book, I don't know if you caught it, Peter's a U.S. citizen. He's not in the movie. And, you know, that makes my my lawyer antenna go up because that's a basis to to appeal. You have a U.S. citizen child as that, you know, the people who now like to call it anchor babies and, you know, F them. But you have a child, you have a you have someone in this household who has birthright citizenship in the book and I understand removing it from the movie because it takes out all those complications, but we never even know how they got caught until almost the end of the first act, because that's when she finally reveals why she's acting all funky to Daniel. But what really got me about some of the other elements was, and I guess it's because Charles is important. In the movie, he they use him as the vehicle to show about the difference 
and the insular nature of ethnic ethnicities and cultures even within the united states and some blatant ass racism Mm -hmm. um i had a moment where i was ready to go (laughs) oh yeah so and that's the thing it's so funny because like jake Choi, from what i see on social media is the opposite of that Mm -hmm. and watching him i was just like oh i want to fight him okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i was like i knew you were a good actor but now i'd like to punch you in your face wow you're better than i thought you were and clearly i don't we're not going to spoil that scene but you know there's a whole description in one part of the book by Daniel talking about his other brother and the section opens reasons. I think Charles J. Wombay, AKA Charlie is an asshole in no particular order. And then he starts to list some of the things that he knows about his brother from how they're growing up and not having that context and not having any of that character development really reduces Jake Choi's portrayal of Charlie Bay as just some top level racism and that's not what it was at all and you know he's a complicated complex character and he and Daniel had a complicated complex relationship that I really felt they could have better utilized in the movie in ways that they did because you know, there's another line in the book at one point in time. They're like, he's an asshole. He stays an asshole. He, he settles into it. But one time when he was a kid, you know, he did something selfless for his brother. It's the last thing that he did for anybody else. So there's a whole different sensibility about the dynamic with Daniel Bay and why he's so unwilling to push back against his family. And I really like Tracy, um, the screenwriter, she just kept Tracy Oliver. She just kept everything really top level. And I, and I wonder why, and I wonder why when she had such depth of character and actors who could play them. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. Like I, I, I'm still kind of blown on how we, we lose pretty much everything about, uh, Natasha's family in through, through this in a, in a very like, uh, like, it kind of feels like it has was like purposely erased, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think it was honestly, but that's how it felt, like oddly, just like, like gone. And I felt like so it was weird. on purpose. I absolutely feel like they did it on purpose, and I don't know why. It's like they felt like they couldn't not give Daniel proper character development, and so they made sure that they gave enough elements to where you had a true sense of his backstory, even if it's not with depth with his family, but they completely stripped her of her family. And I don't know if they were trying to make it seem like she was just being selfish or if it was supposed to be symbolic of the anger she had with her father and the fact that he had gotten caught and now they were leaving, or it was supposed to be her bitterness over the fact that she felt like they weren't fighting and she was unwilling to give up. But I really felt like it was on purpose. And it's one of the other areas where I was really confused. I went back. I'm not one of those people who like writes in my books, usually because I collect books. But one of the things I remembered and I marked it later was when they were showing her talking to the immigration specialist and he was saying you'll be fine there are people who go to you know syria and afghanistan you're going to jamaica you'll be fine and i was like this is a perfect moment for them to have maybe given us a flashback of previous meetings where it was her parents talking to somebody at immigration or to show us what he did to get caught 
And they mention it later in the film. Again, we're not trying to spoil, but I felt like it was kind of, it, she casually delivers it. And I do think, again, I think it's a combination of, of probably direction, Yara as in her delivery in general, plus the, the words on the page. But mm-hmm. they kind of yada yada the, how how they got to the situation. Yeah. In a, in a odd way. Like it was, I don't know how to describe it, when they said it, like she was like, "Oh yeah, so and so happened." I was like, "What? Wait, what?" Yeah, I was like, "That's that's all you're gonna give us? What about more?" But I really feel like there's a lot of the dynamic that we should have gotten in this movie, and I think it would have been it wouldn't have felt less like a hack job, and it would have felt less superficial if they had kept the relationship in the present between her and her father, because they clearly had one, what you see in the movie from the flashbacks and what you get in the book and the montages they gave of how they set up the understanding, the history of these two different families and cultures were really well done that I did like in the movie. And they picked really great things from the book for those, like the naming of the children for the Bay children, whether they picked the, you know, the first name, the American way or the last name, the the Korean way. I thought that was really well done. And it kind of gave you a better sense of Daniel. But of all the scenes, they didn't pick one that was comparable for Natasha. And they had them. And so you got this montage about her parents and how they met each other. But you don't know how he came to the United States. You don't know why she's not registered as a dreamer. Because hello, you made it con- you made it contemporary. That means they were in the U.S. before the current administration when she could have registered as a dreamer, and they'd have a harder child time getting rid of their kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, you're erasing so much of her family because you want to change the timeline and you want to change the circumstances of how they got caught and put into the immigration system, but you don't want to do any of the work to rebuild that connection, which is what we need to understand someone you want us to see as pragmatic rather than passionate and romance driven because the lack of balance was just weird. It was super weird. It is. And that's not, not how Nicola Yoon wrote it. Now this book isn't going to be for everybody's taste, but it's a really quick read. It's really easily written. She has short paragraphs. She doesn't waste words and she doesn't overuse them. The way that she introduces the story and introduces concepts, like she has a whole section in here about Irie because I think it's from the second trailer. They show it's Mike. Was that Michael? Ely? No, that wasn't Michael Ely. That was um. Um. Uh, that Hill was Hill Harper. Harper. Sorry. Thank you, Hill Harper. He who is adorable with his little boy. I love that man. In there, where they have him saying everything is Irie, and she gets really pissed off, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where they cut the commercial. And I realize the reason why they cut the commercial is because of the people who've read the book. If they had heard what happened later in that conversation in his office they would have realized that they're not really making nikki's book i think that goes to my point as you read the book this level of podcast is you know i talk shit and read so it's what i do (laughs) and i know you read i know you read the book i did i happened to when i was walking out of the theater let's put it this way i was walking out of theater and i heard two white women who are teachers talking about it and apparently they're reading this with like some school group it, that they're teaching whatever 
Mm-hmm. But they were kind of talking about like, why would you take all of this out of the th- like the book? And I was like, oh dang, I yeah. don't know. Like, listen to this passage. I I didn't don't get crazy, listeners. I'm not going to do this for the whole book. I only did it for the beginning, but it was really important. There's a whole section in says, so there's really nothing you can do to help me. I'm really going to have to leave. I said in such a small voice that I barely can hear myself. Mr. Barnes doesn't have any trouble hearing. Listening to quiet, miserable voices is his job description. He taps the closed file with his fingers and he says, your dad is his problem. Why do I have to pay for his mistake? My father, his one night of fame led to a DUI, led to us being discovered, led to me losing the only place I call home. You're still here illegally, he said. But his voice is not as hard as it was before. I nod, but don't say anything because now I really will cry. I put my headphones on and head for the door again. I've been to your country. I've been to to Jamaica, he says. He's smiling at the memory of his trip. I had a nice time. Everything is iry there, man. You'll be all right. Psychiatrists tell you not to bottle up your feelings because they'll eventually explode. They're not wrong. I've been angry for months. It feels like I've been angry since the beginning of time. Angry at my father. Angry at Rob, who told me just last week that we should be able to be friends despite everything, i.e. the fact he cheated on me. Not even Bev has... Yeah, they took her ex-boyfriend out too. Not even Bev has escaped my anger. And then it skips down here and it says, I take off my headphones. Where did you go? I asked. Negril, he said. Very nice place. Did you leave the hotel grounds? I wanted to, but my, but your wife didn't want to because she was scared, right? The guidebook said it was best to stay on the resort grounds. I sat down again. He rests his chin on the back of his clasped hands for the first time since his conversation began. He's not in charge of it. Was she concerned for her safety? I put air quotes around safety as if it weren't really a thing to be concerned about. Or maybe she just didn't want to ruin her vacation mood by seeing how poor everyone really is. The anger I've suppressed rises from my belly and into my throat. You listened to Bob Marley and the bartender got you some pot and someone told you what Irie means and you think you know something. You saw a tiki bar and a beach in your hotel room. That is not a country. That's a resort. He holds his hands up like he's defending himself, like he's trying to push the words in the air back into me. Yes, I'm being awful. No, I don't care. Don't tell me I'll be right. Don't tell me I don't know that place. I don't know that place. I've been here since I was eight years old. I don't know anyone in Jamaica. I don't have an accent. I don't know my family there. Not the way you're supposed to know family. It's my senior year. What about prom and graduation and my friends? I want to be worrying about the same dumb things they're worrying about. I've even just started my applications getting together for college. What about college? I ask, crying now. My tears are unstoppable. They've been waiting for a long time to come out. Do you have any idea what it's like to not fit in anywhere? Again, I say it too quietly to be heard, and again he hears me. I'm all the way to the door, my hand on the knob, when he says, Miss Kingsley, wait. Now you saw the movie. Yeah. Would that have made a difference? Yes. Oh my God, yes. I think that is a lot more context. I think that would have been such a great kind of introduction to and even like if they did everything that they did and they made all the choices that they made in this film how we've seen it but they had at minimum had that scene i think it would have made i think it would have made the difference right so the one moment they give us to truly understand that even though she says she's pragmatic even though she says ration before everything numbers before everything love doesn't exist she has feelings She's emotion driven and she is hope, which in and of itself means you, you believe in fate. 
Because if you believe in fate, you have hope because you don't get one without the other. And I just really felt like for some reason when they were building this narrative to put it on screen, they forgot whose story they were telling. And it started to skew and lean towards Daniel heavy. Now, that also possibly could be because Charlie is a better actor. I'm I'm wondering if that was the case because he really he sell he is selling it. I'm telling you, like I came there for Yara because again I was being honest and earnest, not shady. When I was saying like, look, I think she's an awesome human, mm-hmm. and I like and I like the show she's in, but I don't think I've seen her in film form. And not all TV actresses or people who are in one medium of art can translate to another medium of art. Let me tell you, a good example of that, of somebody who was able to make that transfer, was somebody like Zendaya, who started off on Disney Channel, really hilarious in Spider-Man Far From Home and um, in, in, in uh, Homecoming. And if she could pull off Euphoria on HBO, which I'm really excited to see. I'm really excited for Euphoria. I'm right there with you. Then we're, 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 we're in business. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm present. I like, really feel like, but I feel like for Zendaya, she needed to grow up a little. She did. And I think that that might be Yara's like sticking point. I think I think it's quite funny. Like Yara is different than Z, where Yara is presents older. I think because she talks a lot about social issues that affects her generation, and she should be talking about them. Though, do not get me wrong. Right. But I think uh, uh, she presents a little bit more mature. So I think my brain was like, oh, well, her maturity on a personal and political standpoint matches her maturity kind of on screen. And I don't think that's the case. No, it's not. And I think we may need to do a better job of taking that into consideration. Yes. She's a baby. Yeah, she's a a baby. She's definitely a baby. Yeah, she just got here. But I also think another part of it is, is they were very careful when they were building the chemistry and the dynamic between the two, not to rely on the fact that they both have the most amazing skin on the face of the earth. These are some beautiful ass people. Like, I know it probably sounds like to the listeners that we're, like, ripping on this film, but off the strength of just seeing pretty people alone, no matter what and who you are attracted to, you're going to enjoy the fuck out of this film. If you just, yeah. like, looking at pretty people. Okay, yeah. I, I don't want it to seem like we're bashing this movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was cute. Yeah. I thought it avoided some of the greater pitfalls of what's been happening with contemporary YAs that are being translated to the screen. I just feel like given the source material, which is why I picked a couple things from the beginning because they don't spoil the movie at all, but they give you a greater sense of what could have been. And knowing that you could have gotten a complicated, complex girl who, you know, doesn't know exactly what she wants, but she knows exactly where she wants to get it. And a, and a, and a young man who doesn't want to go against his family because he knows going too hard against his family could lose him his family in a very tangible sense. And culturally, they could have done a better job of keeping things even-handed. But because they wanted to narrow it down to this, you you know, you have to seize you have to seize the moment when you get it because you know fate may only give you one chance and and things circle around and things happen for a reason and and all these different moments i get that that's what they wanted to focus on but they still could have gotten there without stripping this this world you know and they had the time because some of the greater montages they give us of them running around and doing tourist ass shit for two people who live in new york i'm gonna agree with you on that joy bruh the roosevelt island scene girl clean the fuck out i was was like like, y'all 
I was like, why don't we go home? Bitch, go home. Yo, like, and I think that's, <laughs> that's what was getting me. I'm like, why are we doing this touristy ass shit? Like y'all both ain't native New Yorkers. What yeah, like this, y'all don't know where no good to go and to fall asleep in the park. Bruh. Bruh. Safely. <laughs> you asked, you the lies. Like, the lies. <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, okay, so nobody's shit got stolen? Okay. Yeah, you y'all lying. Y'all lying. Okay. Right. Oh, the, the cute. Let me tell you the cutest thing. That, like, also, did they? This is just a random one. When they went to karaoke, did they pay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming if it's anything like the parlors here, they paid before they went in, and their car went on file, and it gets okay. final charge when you come out. Sure, the when they're walking out, I was like, oh, but did they pay though? <laughs> like, that yeah, was I was like, y'all spot. just, y'all just running out, y'all just leaving. They kept some of the overall structure of the story, and I thought it was really cute the way they used it, and I thought it was adorable. I think some people who require there to be an, a, an obscene amount of over-emoting to believe in chemistry are going to not necessarily find um, Natasha and Daniel to be overwrought with chemistry. But I like the fact that they acknowledged that they were telling a story of a love that could only be that first blush, that hint that I think I could love this person kind of love because yeah. it's a day. And the constant complaint that Phenom is making on, you know, movie trailer reviews, reviews is it's a day. It's a whole last day. You throw your whole life for somebody. So it was really refreshing to see that they didn't try to push that narrative to the, and they live happily ever after. And they didn't try to save anybody at the last damn minute either. No, I will say I agree. So let me tell you something that I did like about the film. I appreciate it. And this is going to sound odd, but like, bear with me. There's a level of awkwardness to their chemistry mm-hmm. that is uh, accurate because they are absolutely fucking strangers. Um, where I think that they have a level of, of like snarkiness and flirty stares and like, you know, that type of thing that fits one, like the teenage young love, you know, story that they're trying to sell but I also do, do think that it fits very well into the narrative of, oh, I don't know you really. I don't, not even really, I don't know you at all. And it fits. I think it, I think it, it, that part is believable. Yes. And I think that's what makes all of this work. The girl who is seen next to me in the movie just kept looking at me going, why am I watching this? I hate this. But you know what? By the end of the movie, she was like, that damn ending got me. She's like, the ending got me. They wrapped it back around in a way that worked. And I looked at her and said, that's in the book. And she's like, well, shit. And it's really funny in the sense when you're thinking about that is you have these two people and it's very easy when you look at them. And this is something that just typically happens what we were talking about early to age them up and Mm -hmm. expect more from them because you've aged them up in your mind. And I liked the fact that this movie very specifically and deliberately keeps them immature when they should be. Oh, like during, yeah, like I think one of the the strong ones that, and you make a great point about this, uh, Ro, where they were karaoke, that flashback, I thought that was a really interesting choice to keep them at the same age. Mm -hmm. While while I was watching them, I was like, they are still babies. And I was like, well, yeah, no, of course, because when you're that young, you don't really, your future thinking of like what adulthood is. And what that young love looks like is very unrealistic. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you're, of course, you're going to look exactly the same and, you know. Everything's going to be hunky-dory and it's just going right. to move at pace and the sky's going to be blue and there's going to be clouds. But that's part of the thing 
on the flip side that I felt like they didn't give us enough real gravitas of actual flashbacks. Mm -hmm. When you do a dream sequence and it looks no different than how you did the flashbacks, you undermine the weight of those flashbacks to informing the emotional connection people are making to your characters and to your story. And I think that's pretty much what lacks in this movie. Everything else worked for me. That's why it's, I didn't, I, I think people should go see it. It's a cute movie. If you want something yeah. light and you like a little romance and you want to look at beautiful people and be envious of four cheekbones that you will want to have. Yes. Skin, skin, skin glistening. Oh my not God. A ditch of highlighter in sight. And if she's not using flaxseed on them curls to keep them like that, I need to know what whoever did her hair did because her hair was on point forever. And, but it's like, like we just have this idea that you can't keep uh, a broader perspective on a story and still tell a close narrative and, you know, a day in the life kind of story. And this is where you find that's not necessarily to be true because this story needed their families more. Yeah. I a thousand agree. I've, I still recommend seeing it because I do think that this is a, a a film full of charm. I think it is very much of a very charming film. Um, and candidly, if you off the strength of again wh- whatever you like, whoever you like, whatever you're attracted to, these are some gorgeous ass people. Okay, mm-hmm. like and they are both legally adults, so I can feel comfortable saying that. <laughs> so that uh, they're yeah, they're gorgeous. They're they're just gorgeous people. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye out for Charles Melton because I expected nothing from him watching this film. Not because I've seen him in something that was just like no thanks, but I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Apparently he's on Riverdale. I don't yeah. watch Riverdale. So I, I was so I was just like, okay, that means nothing to me. Um but he, he did that. Mm-hmm. And he should be proud of himself. He really did. He's got great timing. He's got a nice sense of the ironic that shows up in his face. I do believe that he does pouty lips too much, but I'm starting to think that might not be his fault. Um, his that resting- have- okay, his I'm lips. Worried. It might I'm just gonna, be his resting face. I'm know. gonna, I'm gonna go to hell. But I kept look every time I kept looking at him. I'm like, you have a full lip, and I appreciate a man with a full lip. Yeah, you don't really get that with like non-black men per nope. se. So I'm like, ooh, I appreciate you got two full top and bottom lip is present and visible. Yep. I appreciate that. I think that I just think that is just his lips, honestly. That's what I mean. That's how I was like, I can't hold that against you that it's distracting me that your, your lips are on full. I think it's just your face. It's just, you know, for me, when I read this book, there was a page and there was a moment where I felt like I got the whole point of the story. And it was when, you know, later in the story, they're at the airport. They, they, they do this slightly differently in the movie, but not enough to where you don't get the you get the point but you don't get the same message because they change the language but in the book they have this idea when they finally do pull apart it's with a new knowledge they have a sense that the length of a day is mutable and you can never see the end from the end you can never see the end from the beginning they have a sense that love changes all things all the time because that's what love is for and i was like see they remembered to do that, that this was just about that moment in time and that, you know, love is something that you carry with you and it doesn't have to be this be all end all. They were never meant to be, you know, something bigger than what they were in that moment. 
because she's like not Natasha doesn't say what she suspects that meant to be doesn't have to mean forever and we don't usually get contemporary romance stories especially not told using people of color and the things going on in their life you know big small serious frivolous where they give you that moment where they just say this doesn't have to fix everything this isn't necessarily the beginning or an ending this just is and you have the right to enjoy it we don't we don't usually get those stories with us and this one does that pretty well yes i will say funny enough even with this film's flaws the ending is very satisfying Mm -hmm. very satisfying ending i will give them that and that's that's what I think it's going to get some people. They're like, oh, damn you. You got me. Yeah. That ending, they wrap they wrap a nice little pretty bow on top of that ending very well. I will give them, them that. And it's so funny. I think, I think the strongest pieces are that end and some really key pieces in the middle with them in the coffee shop. And this is in the trailer, so this is not a spoiler. Them in the coffee shop interacting with each other, I think is a very strong selling point. I think just quiet shots of just them hanging out together really work for me because mm-hmm. um, again i like pretty things and pretty people um but yeah no i i think that there there is some really good 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 meaty stuff it's just the middleman that is doesn't do it for me and that beginning doesn't set up what is the big emotional weight piece of of the film or is right. supposed to be for the film so there were two other things that one was missing completely and the other is the different ending. I liked what you said. We're not going to talk about the movie's ending at all because that's just, it's too easy to spoil. And I liked what they did. It was a nice little bow without it being obnoxious. But in the book, there's this moment when she goes back to um, the immigration office and she's going through security and they blur this moment out. They just have her blur through the gate. But in the book, there's a chapter called Irene and said Natasha is not at all correct about Irene. Irene loves her job more than loves it. She needs it. It's almost the sole human contact she has, the only thing keeping her total and desperate loneliness at bay. And that's how that particular little chapter opens. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. And then she's like, every interaction with these applicants saves her life just a little. At first, they barely notice her. They dump their items in the bin and watch closely as they go through the machine. Most are suspicious that Irene will pocket loose change or a pen or keys or whatever. In the normal course of things, the applicant would never notice her, but she makes sure they do. It's her only connection to the world. So she waylays each bin with a single gloved hand. The delay is long enough that the applicant is forced to look up and meet her eyes to actually see the person standing in front of them. Most mumble a reluctant good morning and the words fill her up a little. Others ask how she's doing and she expands a little more. Irene never answers. She doesn't know how. Instead, she looks back at the bin and scrutinizes each object for clues, for some information to store away and examine later. More than anything, she wishes she could take her gloves off and touch the keys and wallets and loose change. She wishes she could slide her fingers along the surfaces, memorizing textures and letting the artifacts of other people's lives seep into her. But she can't delay the line too long. Eventually, she sends the bin and its owner away from her. And it's like, this morning she needs contact to save her life. She drags her eyes away from a retreating bin up to the next applicant. It's the same girl who's been coming every day this week. She can't be more than 17. Like everyone else, the girl doesn't look up from the bin. She keeps her eyes focused on it, like she can't bear to be parted from the hot pink headphones in her cell phone. Irene lays her glove hand on the side of the bin to prevent it sliding out of her life and onto the conveyor belt. The girl looks up and Irene inflates. She looks as desperate as Irene feels. Irene almost smiles at her. In her head, she does smile at her. 
Welcome back. Nice to see you, Irene says, but only in her head. In reality, she already she's already looking down, studying the girl's phone case. The picture is of a fat white baby boy completely submerged in clear blue water. The baby is spread eagle and looks more like he's flying than swimming. She feels herself take an extra bath as if she were the one underwater. She wants to find a reason to confiscate the phone, but there is none. Now, if they had left that moment in later, you would start to realize all the different ways that they're kind of telling this story about fate and connections and, you know, living in the moment. And that one thing that you do could, that could save or change the course of someone else's life. Mm -hmm. Because towards the end of the book, you get in here it's like two years after that night, Irene quit her job at UCSI. She remembered that as a child, she dreamt of being a flight attendant. Now her life is simple and happy and she lives it on planes. And because she knows airplanes can be lonely places, and because she knows how desperate loneliness can be, she pays extra attention to her passengers. She takes care of them with an earnestness no other attendant does. She comforts those flying home alone for funerals, sadness seeping from every pore. She holds hands with the acrophobic, the agoraphobic. Irene thinks of herself as a guardian angel with metallic wings. And so it's now that she's making her final checks before taking off, looking for passengers who were in need of a little extra help. The man in 7A is writing in a little black notebook. He's Asian with short black hair and a kind but serious eyes. He chews the top of his pen, thinks, writes, and then chews some more. Irene admires his unselfconsciousness. He acts like he's alone in the world. Her eyes travel on and flit across the young black woman in 8C. She's wearing earbuds and has big curly afro that's been dyed pink at the ends irene freezes she knows that face the warmth of the woman's skin the long eyelashes the full pink lips the intensity surely this can't be the same girl the one who saved her life the one she wants to thank for 10 years now the captain announces takeoff and irene is forced to sit from her jumpsuit she stares at the woman until there's no doubt in her mind as soon as the plane reaches cruising altitude she goes over to the woman and kneels in the aisle next to her miss she says and can't prevent her voice from shaking the woman takes out her earbuds and gives her a hesitant smile this is going to sound strange irene begins she tells the woman about the day in new york the gray bin the nirvana phone case and how she'd seen her every day the woman watches her warily not saying anything something like pain flits across her face there's history there nevertheless irene carries on you saved my life but i don't understand the woman says she has an accent Caribbean and something else. Irene takes the woman's hand. The woman tense but lets her. Curious eyes watch them from all around. You left a message from for me saying thank you. I don't even know what you were thanking me for. The young man in 7A peers between the seats. Irene catches his eyes and frowns. He pulls away. She turns her attention back to the woman. Do you remember me? Irene asks. Suddenly it's very important to her that this girl, now woman, remember her. The question leaves her mouth and she becomes the old Irene, alone and afraid, affected but not affecting. Time hiccups and Irene feels herself torn between two universes. She imagines that the plane disintegrates from the floor and then the seats and then the metal shell. All that remains now is Irene and this woman. I remember you, the woman says. My name is Natasha and I remember you. The young man in 7A peers over the top of the seat. Natasha, he says. His face is wide open and his world is full of love. Natasha looks up. Time stumbles back into place. The plane and seats reform. The passengers solidify into flesh and blood and bone and heart. Daniel, she says. And again, Daniel. Seriously? None of that. Yeah. But wouldn't that have changed the rhythm 
just kind of giving it a little bit more grittiness because you would have had to go into finding out what it was that Irene did in immigration that made Natasha feel like she had to turn back around. You know, this whole idea where Natasha says nothing matters and everything is disconnected and Daniel's trying to disabuse her of that notion. If they had just expanded this world just a little to let some of these other moments of fate that happened, I really don't think that this movie would have had a flaw at all. I don't disagree with you. Let's get into a little bit more of the controversial. A lot there was a bit of murmuring when this film even came out about the casting of uh, Yara in this role because it is a Jamaican immigrant. And from you reading that passage, it sounds like she was always at least written to have some accent of some sort. Well, she uh, acquires one. That's the assumption as an yeah, adult, as an going adult. home. From going got home. you i'm with you okay i'm with you how did you feel like now seeing it on screen the the casting of yara in this family <sighs> she didn't look like she was related to the people she was supposed to be related to first of all and that kind of bothers me because i don't really feel like it should be something that has to happen when you're casting i liked the fact that they didn't try to manipulate her in any way to make her fit so they didn't try to force a fake accent on her. They didn't even try to make her sound like she was too New York, quite frankly. But except when she said dead ass, and I was like, oh. Yeah. And she used like, it wrong. <laughs> did. I was like, legit dead ass. dead ass. I wrote this in my notebook, bro. Why do you know me? Like, I, I was, when she said it, I mouthed it to myself, like, legit dead ass. I'm like, you one or the other, ho, one or the other. You don't put them together. It's either legit or it's dead ass a problem. What are you doing? But I have. I was slightly resentful because I felt like some of the moments would, would have better connected with someone who had a better understanding of them. And Yarla clearly doesn't, but that comes down to us talking about her maturity for the role rather than her suitableness for the role. Yeah. I know for some people it was a colorism type thing and they felt like they went as light as they could get away with without having to really acknowledge that's what they were doing. And as a dark skinned black woman, I can't disagree that that is in fact what they did, particularly when you see who they cast as her mother and her father and her brother. Yeah. So they didn't build a family union, which is another reason why I feel like they kept them stage left and it's disrespectful. I don't feel since they made her so blandly American that they were deliberately trying to strip her of her heritage, more as stating that her father deliberately kept them American so they could hide. But without any of those elements from her family, hearing how her parents spoke, hearing how her father acted before they got caught and after they got caught, we don't have any of that context. And I think it plays further into this not quote unquote being an immigrant love story. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, again, I am not immigrant, so I'm not going to pretend like I can speak for them. Right. But I am half Caribbean, but I was raised very black American. One thing I do know about Caribbean people is that they are very prideful and for good reason, right? Like they have a pride from for who they are and where they come from, no matter their circumstance. So it, it did scream as like odd to me watching it and being like, I'm not getting, I'm not reading any type of Caribbean from you. Or even, even if it was, again, I think if it was a different actress playing that role, they could have even had, uh, when she's talking to Daniel, She's speaking in the, the voice that she's doing. When she went home and they confront her, her accent flares out, like like flares up because she's talking to her parents. She's at home. Yeah, so she doesn't. 
there's no code switching. There's no acknowledgement of the the anything unique about her culture or ethnic or heritage or background in her home. And that's what bothered me about the way they built this character because that's what rang inauthentic about her. Yes. So I don't blame her. I don't even believe that. We won't know whether or not Yara could have done it because they never gave her the opportunity. I think this comes back down to the screenwriter being Tracy Oliver. And every once in a while, as much as I appreciate some of the work that Tracy does, she, she, she plays respectability politics. Yeah, didn't she? Was she one of the screenwriters for um, Little? Uh, I believe like, she's she was Girls Trip. I don't know if she was Little. Hold no, on. I know. Yeah, I know. Yes. She, did Girls Trip. she did the initial story by for Little, and then she also worked on First Wives Club. She did Survivor's Remorse. Come on, first, yeah, I'm about to say so. First Wives Club has not come out. It was supposed to come out in on the like the Paramount Network, and it mm-hmm. hasn't. So I don't think they're still doing it. Neither do I. Um, but. And, and th- the reason why I ask is I remember, and this is in no way of a comparison, but do you remember that terrible trans joke in Little? Oh, yeah. But she said on Twitter, like, look, there's a difference between what I wrote and, like, actually completed versus after, like, what is put on screen. And so there is an in-between of I wrote it, I sent it out, hey, here you guys go, knock yourself out, and then edits are made, and then the movie's made, X, Y, and Z. Now, right. I'm not in the movie making business. I just write about films. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Them. I don't make them. But I am wondering how much of this is her original screenplay and how much of it was left on the cutting room floor, if you know what I mean. Okay, I'll give you that. Because this is one of these situations where you know you're talking to somebody who knows these particular issues because you've seen her handle them with grace and flair on Survivor's Remorse. Yep. But they never seem to make it into her movie. So the moment in the hair care store... that they picked for this. I feel like someone decided to go for low-hanging fruit rather than the most subtle, nuanced ways they could have played that scene. And I think it's the same thing that laid out for Little. They went for the low-hanging fruit. And that's more of a problem for me in these movies than it is them deciding to cast Yara. Because colorism is evil. And I really think that when it comes to it, the the community as a whole needs to get a grip on itself we're so quick oh you should cast x y and z for this you shouldn't have done this other person that sometimes we forget you still have to go with who shows up to audition you still have to take the best of what you get out of that now what that means is we need to do better about having all of the spectrum of caliber top level caliber actors available but when they do make a decision, they should be empowered to stop this type mess happening because that really bothered me. And I, I, I don't have anybody else to say because it started with her script. So I, I yeah. mean, we can also say that the director didn't, the director did it. He let it happen. Yeah. There's a combination of, of moving pieces here. I, the, the, I, I wanted to bring all these different elements up in our discussion. And mm-hmm. I, you're obviously the best person to talk to about this I because I think there's best. a, well, in terms of like in this juncture, cause you've read the book, right? Right. Like where everything you're saying, I agree with. I think that Yara was a bit miscasted, not less, less so about, what she looks like and more so about there wasn't nothing there wasn't anything there for me now Mm -hmm. i don't know how much of that is her or how much of that is the screenplay and how much of that is the direction there is could be a it could be a hodgepodge of everything i think it's the director 
because some of the areas where we're seeing that we feel that there's a little bit of a lack is some of the same areas that I felt were a lack in the translation from the book before I fall to the screen. And I just realized it's the same director. Oh, okay. So so young. Okay, hey, we are cracking codes here. Okay, now here we go. All right, because I when I walked out, I was like, I don't want to, I don't like trying to talk, like, I don't like trying to dog people out. And I don't want to necessarily be like, yo, she's a terrible actress. When I was watching that, I was just like, this ain't it, girl. I think I the direction she, on. I think what she was asked for, I think the direction she was given, what she was asked for, she gave. But I also think that we have to recognize and acknowledge that the director of this movie is not black. And so there are certain subtle nuances, nu- ooh, nuances that she's not going to think about. Like you were saying, having her code switch when she goes home or showing her, showing the difference between how she acts when she's in the building and when she's on the street. The fact that we don't know what music is playing in her headset, but we're assuming it's what we're hearing as a soundtrack. But in the book, Homegirl was listening to Nirvana. Mm-hmm. So all these different elements that came together, they mix it up and shook it up for a girl who doesn't have the baggage that this character should have had. Yeah. And so that's where you end up in situations where you get low hanging fruit. I personally believe that Rye did a much better job of pulling the story together in ways that truly matter for this than she has done for some of the other YA contemporary uh, or, you know, suspense thriller YA type stories to screen than she's done in the past. I will flat out say that I do that believe that to be true but I believe that she was missing some voices that she needed in her ear when she was and, directing and making choices and that makes sense because Rye is Asian right I don't actually know what what who are you ma'am because this picture she could be a lot of things what's her last name uh Russo Young Russo she might just be Caucasian oh no she's definitely yeah nope she is yeah but it comes down to one of those things where i just think she took too much refuge into the idea that she's making a ya film and she forgot that just because it's a ya film doesn't mean that you take out the sophistication in the story that you're telling so she gave us really really pretty things with nice flashback montages that work and a story that holds together better than expected it's cute it's sweet it's a nice contemporary take it's a relationship dynamic that works and it keeps its awkwardness but as for translating some of the heavier elements in this book they punted yeah i will say this like look i think i i agree with everything you're saying actually but I will say that in 2019, for just me, myself, personally, just Joy's POV, especially because I I had the opportunity to see Fast Color that was directed by a white woman, Julia. You keep reminding me that I don't get to see that movie. Just keep it's not No, it's not even me doing it on purpose. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But like seeing that movie and seeing kind of the level of gravitas that was given to it from a white female director, all you white or white presenting directors, if you are directing people of color, you need to step your cookies up. Yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. You got to do your Googles, bruh. Like this wasn't like the, I, there was just a lack of, of, of nuance uh, delivered for Natasha's stuff. And I do think some of that is definitely the circumstance of the performance that Yara gave. And I also do think that Yara definitely has opportunity to grow as an actress, but I think she's got a good base to work from. She does. Absolutely. She got opportunity. She got a good base. People believe in her. Shit, I still believe in her. I mm-hmm. think she. I think she still got it. 
I still think that she has the time and space to grow. Uh-huh. But I would not work with this director again until you do. <laughs> until you do is my yeah, yeah. recommendation. Yeah. Well, we're still saying, you know, I say if you like contemporary romance and you don't have a problem with your protagonist being under the age of 18 when they start the story, you may want to give The Sun is Also a Star, the book, a read. But if you're in the mood for a light romantic fair that does a better than job of kind of making you laugh and re-examine some of your ideas about things, you should also give the movie a, ch- a shot. You just uh, I, I No, no. I agree with both of those things. I think this movie is still hella charming. I think it is still it still has some heart some some uh, within there. I think that there are definitely some opportunity points, but I still I did not walk out feeling unsatisfied. I definitely got a couple of laughs in. Charles Melton is going places. I I really do believe that. I mm-hmm. he, I walked out being like, okay, I you got a fan of me, sir. You did that. Um, and so yeah, there's some wins here. Yep. So. Thanks for joining us for another I Talk Shit and Read chat. Be sure to check out Joy's full review of The Sun is Also a Star up on the website. I'll be back soon with more book talk, interviews, and anything else I can convince people to sit down and talk to me about pretty soon. Pretty soon.